You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Just briefly, uh, by way of notices, I think the main thing is to note what's happening over the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday being New Year's Eve, there won't be a service as such, but people are invited to drop in for a cup of tea or coffee. So it's just a social event. It might be a glass of champagne. Some would say it's the most important part of a Sunday morning anyway, is the tea and coffee after the service. But we're going to get straight to the point next week. Just the service. I'm on holidays the next two weeks. On 7th of January, Jenny Deister, our president, will be organising the service, and then I'll be back after that. Very well. Uh, the other thing I'll note is that um, meditation commences. It's normally the first Wednesday of the month, and it will be starting on that first Wednesday in January, which I think is the 3rd. There's a new time for both meditation and words of spirit practice next year at 5.30. So Wednesday, 5.30, the first Wednesday of January, there will be meditation here and uh, you're quite welcome to join. Briefly, people may wish to offer financial contribution on the way out. Uh, we're an independent, self-governed church group and everyone is welcome. Whatever your background, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, everyone is welcome here. And we've been going here since 1850. Some time out from the stresses of work and relationships, and especially Christmas, and spend an hour together away from all that. And we're going to begin recognising that we're on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We're going to lift the lid on Christmas this morning. <laughs> visual joke, a bit hard for some to see. Let us go to uh, the, the wonderful terrace singers who have been going for a very long time under the leadership of our very own Margaret. And uh, some of the singers have been uh, with this group for well over 20 years, which is remarkable, I think. And uh, they're going to uh, present some carols to us this morning. And I hope uh, you'll enjoy the beautiful music all arranged by Sir Carl Jenkins, and they're going to start off with Marienson, son of Maria. Thank you.
It is a traditional part of our service that we light this candle on this chalice. The fire, reminiscent of the ancient times when those in the northern hemisphere craved the rebirth of the sun in the middle of winter, lighting bonfires to encourage the rebirth of the sun after its stillness for three days at the solstice. Since then, in World War II, the candle on the chalice became for Unitarians a symbol of liberation. But today, may we say that the light of the candle reflects the light in us, that love and kindness in us, which we can allow to shine to give warmth and love to others. Let us light up the world around us like a Christmas tree, or even better, like a bonfire. Now, there's a riddle, why are Unitarians so bad at singing hymns? It's because they're always reading ahead to see if they agree with the lyrics. Well, that might apply to our next song. Margaret's going to help us by playing the tune to God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. However, there are some naughty lyrics provided. It is good to sing together. It is good to sing and it is good to sing together. I'm sure the choir would agree. And I must say that we're having a bit of fun with Christmas this morning it is fair to say that Unitarians take a more historical view of that great story from 2,000 years ago, which we celebrate tomorrow. But we do so with respect for those Christians who have faith that Jesus was literally the Son of God. Let us not take anything away from them, but we have our own understanding uh, with which uh, they may not necessarily agree. Let us see if we can sing together. stand if you're able. There are three of these verses. If you didn't sing along with the words, you are forgiven. <laughs> so we now move to another traditional part of our service, which gives people an opportunity to share uh, a joy or concern which they have, some personal matter to them which they're happy to share with us for now, and we light a candle to reflect that joy or concern.
If there are no others, then I'll just light a final candle because we all have joys and concerns which we're not necessarily going to share today in front of everyone. But uh, nonetheless, we cherish those things for which we can give joy and we seek relief and peace in relation to those things which give us concerns. Let's take a moment of quiet contemplation to think about what we've heard and to pray, if you will. We will all have concerns for the health of ourselves and others and for the violence and hurt that's in the world. What we can do, what we pray for, is peace within ourselves, healing of ourselves and others, and peace in the world. So may it be. Now I'll ask Richard to come forward with a reading for today from a work by Goethe, the famous German writer, from a story called Wilhelm Meister's Apprenticeship and Travels. Art is long, life short. Judgment is difficult, opportunity transient. To act is easy, to think is hard. To act according to our thought is troublesome. Every beginning is cheerful. The threshold is the place of expectation. The child stands astonished, guided by impressions of the world. The child learns sportfully. Seriousness comes suddenly. Imitation is born with us. What should be imitated is not easy to discover. The excellent is rarely found, more rarely valued. The heights charm us, the steps to the heights do not. With the summit in our eye, we love to walk along the flat plain. Only a fraction of art can be taught. The artist must have it completely. Who knows it half, speaks much, and is always wrong. Who knows it wholly, inclines to act, and speaks seldom or late. The former have no secrets and no force. The instruction they can give us is like baked bread, savoury and satisfying for only a single day. Words are good, but they are not the best. The best cannot be explained by words. The spirit in which we act is of the greatest importance. The instruction given by the true artist opens our minds where words fail, deeds speak. And to give us an opportunity to contemplate, Margaret, will you play for us again? Because the choir wants to sing. <laughs> Two more works, traditional tunes arranged by Carl Jenkins, Lulle and Schlafkind des Winters.
perhaps some reflections to offer to you about the Christmas story. The story of Yeshua. I use that Hebrew name because that's what he would have been known as in his time and place. It became Yesu in Greek and Latin, and somehow the Oxford scholars made it into Jesus. <laughs> so it's been on a linguistic journey, his name. But when we think about that great story, it's worth remembering that initially things were written down about the sayings of Yeshua. And then some two generations after his life, someone wrote a book in the name of Mark. That was the first of the so-called gospel or good news books which were officially sanctioned by the church as it became powerful in Rome and throughout the Mediterranean world. So it's very important to begin the story with the book of Mark because it was something that looks like a biography of Yeshua. It's not a history in the way that we currently think of history where people try and determine definitive facts. You, you know, kings and queens of England live from this year to that year. It's nothing like that. It's a bit more like the Murdoch newspapers in the sense of being written with an intention that you should be persuaded of a certain theme. And the, the gospel are like that. Mark, being the first, was responding, no doubt, to questions after Saul, or, or Paul, as, as we know him, spread the word beyond Jewish congregations to what they called Goyim, or Gentiles, in the rest of the Roman world. There were questions, obviously, well, who was this, uh, this teacher, this rabbi that, that, that you're talking about? And the answer was developing over the first few centuries after the life of Yeshua to finally come up with the official church position that there was a trinity of God, which was Yeshua, the Holy Spirit, and God in some three persons. So that took centuries to develop and be definitively accepted. And there were all sorts of debates that went on during those centuries. But remember, in Mark, we're talking about just a couple of generations after the life of Yeshua. And the story, as told in Mark, begins with the baptism at the Jordan River by John. So it begins with Yeshua coming to be baptised and hearing himself a message from God, in a sense, anointing him with a mission on earth. And then it goes through stories of his tribulations in Jerusalem, crucifixion, and it finishes with women, the women most intimate with him, going to his tomb, only to find it empty. And in Mark 16, the original version finished. They got out and fled, trembling with shock. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. So there is no resurrected Jesus in that story. Of course, the other books in the name of Matthew, Luke and John elaborate and add bits of theological importance to the described life of Yeshua. But one of the most powerful arguments of the Unitarians is based on the book of Mark. The fact that 
the very purpose of this book, accepted and common in the early Christian church, that, that originally a Jewish movement which developed a life of its own, the fact that Mark was trying to persuade people, Yeshua is somehow adopted, signified by the God above with a special mission on earth, possibly even a God himself. And yet, that author presumably was not aware of stories about a virgin birth, wise men, etc., because that would have been a very significant element of the story. And the author could not have been aware of stories of a resurrected Jesus walking around because surely you would include that if you wanted to persuade your readers that this person had divinity himself. Anyway, it's a question for another day. (laughs) But what I want to focus on is the message of Yeshua. Whatever and whoever he was, there is a message that's very clearly defined. Now, I'm speaking to people who might be atheists, humanists, and might reject Christianity for whatever reasons. But to go to the cynical extreme of saying, well, actually, historically, you know very little about him. Books that were written 40 or 50 years after he died, worthless as as testimony. So chuck out the whole lot. Well, you can say that, but it's a kind of empty victory. Really, all I would say is, well, how clever you are. But what does it give you? How does it help you live your life? So let's go to what Yeshua said when he was questioned. He did a kind of Q&A. You all know the ABC TV show. Well, he was there in Jerusalem, and they were coming up to him with the toughest questions. And one of them was, in Mark chapter 12, what was the most important commandment? Maybe they were trying to trick him. Maybe they were actually after a bit of education. And Yeshua gives two answers, and this is the essence of his teaching. One, he gave the Jewish profession of faith, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The one we call Adonai is God, and Adonai is one. And the second commandment stressed by Yeshua was you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Now, for those who don't get any sense of connection with a God or any sense of existence of God, it's difficult to appreciate what might be meant by that message, God is one, and that God is our God. All I can say is that many people around the world and throughout history have had a real sense of God, of some higher power. And it does have a real effect on one's life to have that faith. But you can't be persuaded of it by rational means. I think all you can do, if you have not had such an experience, is prepare yourself for it. Perhaps through reading, perhaps through art, perhaps through experience of nature, perhaps through meditation, finding peace within yourself, finding peace in your relations with others and developing wisdom. And of course, if you get that far, maybe you don't need to think about God. (laughs) The second part is easier for us with our post-enlightenment mental training to assimilate, to take on board. 
you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Linguistically, it's interesting because it doesn't come across as a command, but almost as a law of physics. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. If you have self-understanding, consciousness of yourself, respect for yourself, full of self-affirmation, and I don't mean an ego trip, but with a sense of your purpose and what you can offer to others, then you will be respectful of others. You will be loving of others. It's inevitable. But one can take it as a moral instruction. The most important thing we can learn ethically to deal with others as you would prefer to be dealt with. And it relates back to a comment we heard earlier about people in times of war. Every single war I've ever read about, each side tries to dehumanise the other. They are barbarians. You know that Greek word, it comes from the Greek, from var var. In other words, the Greeks thought that their neighbours to the north went rah, 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 rah. They didn't understand the language. And that became a word barbarian. Those people that spoke that stuff we don't understand. They were people you could go and kill because you can't even understand them. I mean, this is the perverted mentality, right? And it's continued right through to this day, often with use of the word terrorist, justifying any wholesale slaughter. Even if you have doubts about historicity and your rational mind can't take on the story of Yeshua, you still have the teaching of Yeshua. Be open to God and treat others as you want to be treated, also called the golden rule. But now let me take it one step further, because people who have thought and experienced life with metaphor open to poetry, open to art, have taken an esoteric view of the story of Yeshua, thinking of that Christ principle, in other words, not so much as a person, but as an essence of salvation. Not really in the Christian sense of saving souls, but in the sense of something that we can have hold of, which brings forth our best, which leads us towards wisdom and more love. And the concept, the metaphor is that we can have Christ born in our hearts. So here is a powerful reading of the Christmas story. In our hearts, which are like the, the manger in the inn with the straw and the manure and the smells of the cows and whatever, that's our heart with our preoccupations of this world with our lust and our anger and our annoyance and preoccupations with material things, that's, that's in us, in our consciousness. But into that can be born something that saves us, something that brings us consciousness, something that sets us on the path to wisdom and love. The German mystic, Angelus Silesius, from about 400 years ago, said famously, even if the Christ was born a thousand times in Bethlehem. What good is that if Christ is not born in your heart? And I'm also reminded of the Persian poet Hafiz from about 700 years ago. One of the beautiful things he said was, 
I wish I could show you, when you're feeling lonely or in darkness, the light inside of you. Just as I was speaking last week about the midsummer solstice and that symbol of the sun, potentially the sun inside of us from which we can radiate warmth and love and kindness to others. That is the essence of this Christmas story. So that really is the message to take away from today. You have in your heart that birth taking place and from that Christ principle can emanate love and kindness to those around you. Nothing more important than that. We hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.